When we started this series in Ruth, I said that God is a God who is involved in the lives of his people every day, in the little events. And often we can't see that involvement until we look back and we think, ah, so that's how he did it. And sometimes we find ourselves in a a spot of bother and wonder, how will God work this one out? But we can be sure that God is working behind the scenes. He's working his purpose out for you and through that predicament or whatever circumstance it is. And Naomi and Ruth were in a bit of a spot of bother here. It mightn't seem so, but... Humanly speaking, they were. Even though their needs had been met as far as food was concerned, Naomi was too old to marry again and raise up children to her husband and sons. Ruth was still a Moabite and she was still a widow. It was one thing for Ruth to be a widow in Israel while Naomi was alive but it would be quite difficult for her as a foreigner to be a widow in Israel after Naomi died. Naomi was aware that she had a kinsman who could redeem the property and she sold and and raised up a son to carry on the family name. Yet the harvest had passed and nothing had happened. This might have been quite a few months. Waiting. It's not something that we find very easy to do. And we might ask, well, where's God in all this? Why hasn't he done something? If only God had acted when I told him to, none of this would have happened. Have you ever had those thoughts or heard those thoughts? I've had those thoughts and heard those thoughts. How much worse do things have to get before God intervenes in the affairs of this world? And as we look around at the situation, we uh, might find ourselves asking that question. As I said, Naomi's not getting any younger. And she may be asking, why hasn't our kinsman redeemer redeemed us? What's he been doing? Like, been flat out harvesting grain, yeah, but other than that, Why hasn't God done something? We don't know the answer to that, but God is still working behind the scenes. He is still the Lord God Almighty who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And so we can be assured that even though things look completely different, the world is not out of control. In these first five verses we see in a large degree the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship sort of changing into a mother-daughter relationship. It can be seen by Naomi's desire to make Ruth a permanent home with all that should come with it, happiness, security and children to carry on the family name. In chapter 2.11 we read that Boaz said, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And we can see a hint here of how he may be involved in answering that prayer. In chapter 1, 
Naomi prays for both Orpah and Ruth. She says, May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And here we see this time Naomi involved in the answer to her prayer. And that prayer was maybe six months before this. We see in this one way in which divine and hu- divine action and human responsibility work together. And we are not to sit around waiting passively for things to happen. Yes, we can wait impatiently, but we are not to sit around resignedly and say, oh, well, well that's, it's going to wait. But it's not contradicting what I said earlier. Here it is waiting for God, looking for his opportunity and then grabbing it when it arrives. Here Naomi's actions constitute the carrying out of God's plans. And we do need to be very careful about what we pray because God might be calling us to be part of that answer. We need to make sure that we are serious with God in what we ask, knowing that. And we see two examples here. Boaz finding himself somehow involved in the answer to his own prayer. Naomi finding herself involved in the answer to her prayer. In looking at Naomi's plans, we need to look at the cultural aspects of what was going on here. And it comes back to the uniqueness of Israel as God's people. They were chosen by God and bound to him by a covenant. They were redeemed from Egypt. They conquered the land under Joshua. That land was allotted by tribes and the people were leaseholders. They had no absolute right to the land and so they could not sell it whenever they chose because it was God's land and not theirs. If in the event of poverty the land was sold to alleviate suffering, well, what happened then? In Leviticus 25, it gives us the principles. It was the duty of the nearest relation to redeem the land, to buy it back for the family. And if that was not possible, then it reverted to the original leaseholder family at the year of Jubilee. It's this, pro- this provision that Naomi has in mind and she looks to this as a signpost to follow. And when she discovers that Ruth has been gleaning in the field of Boaz, she excitedly exclaimed in chapter 2, that man is a close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. She takes this as a second signpost to follow and so she plans. And in her planning, Naomi wanted Boaz to be in good spirits. She didn't want to leave anything to chance. She modelled the proper use of human ingenuity in the service of a worthy goal and that does not contradict the working of God's providence in that same goal. I believe God works through ingenuity. He's given us a reasoning, a calculating mind and he expects us to use it when we look to the Lord for guidance he expects us to knock on doors Naomi was doing this 
She was following God's guideposts and knocking on doors. In chapter 2 verse 5, in verses 2 to 5, Naomi instructs Ruth to get herself all done up and then to go and lie at Boaz's feet. What's the purpose of this gesture? It was intended to be a signal to Boaz that Ruth was asking for protection and security as the kinsman redeemer. As I've said a number of times, the message of Ruth is about God's providential involvement in the lives of his people. And the classic statement in the New Testament is Romans 8.28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And there have been occasions in my life when people have said that to me, traumatic occasions, I've known the truth of that, but it might not have been the appropriate moment to tell me. It is true, and I have found it to be that. For us, there are many things that we would regard as being for our good. And then again, there are things that cause us to wonder what God has in mind when we experience bereavement, job loss, illness, tragedy, etc. Now, if we'd asked Naomi, her answer may well have been that Ruth be married and secure and have children, that she find her place amongst the chosen people of God under whose wings she has sought and found refuge. For us, the supreme good is to be a part of God's family, to have the security that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that the events of our lives are all designed to conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. When we are wanting guidance, it is essential that we carefully discern God's direction and then follow where he's leading. And our response is to act in faith as Ruth determined to do. Well, in verses 7 to 15, the plan's in action. Boaz has finished his tea and was in good spirits or was well provided for which is the same verb that Naomi uses for Ruth in chapter 3, verse 1. So Boaz goes to his spot at the end of the grain pile and goes to sleep. A lone woman going to an end-of-harvest celebration at a threshing floor full of men in good spirits places herself in a very vulnerable position. And her motives could easily be called into question. And elsewhere in the Bible it talks about the wrong, wrong part of that. Ruth was putting her faith in the God of Israel to work. It wasn't just enough to believe. She's putting her faith into action. I don't know what she was feeling, whether she was nervous or not. But she did go not knowing whether Boaz was going to do his part as kinsman redeemer or not. And we're sometimes called to take similar steps of faith, not knowing the outcome. We want God to tell us everything about it before we venture. But if we did know anything, everything, where's the faith and trust? 
We have no idea how long Ruth had been lying at Boaz's feet. But at some stage he woke up startled or frightened. And he turned to get away from whatever was frightening him and he noticed a woman lying at his feet. When she identified herself, Ruth asked Boaz to spread the corner of his garment over her. This word for garment is the same word that's translated wing in the other chapter. The import of this would not be lost on on Boaz. Ruth is asking Boaz to take her under his wing as a place of refuge and Boaz correctly understands that, that Ruth is speaking of marriage. Psalm 36 is another reference, or verse 7 in that psalm. How priceless is your unfailing love, says the psalmist. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. We often use the same expression in a workplace. A new apprentice arrives and say, oh, well, look, I'll get Joe. You take him under your wing and teach him the ropes. Same sort of thing in church, a new convert. Okay, we'll get one of the elders or deacons to take that fellow under their wing and mentor him and teach him. And this is the attitude that we need to adopt when we come to Christ. To ask him to take us under his wing. To take refuge under the wings of the Almighty. It's an admission of our helplessness and our dependence on him for absolutely everything. Our refusal to do this causes him grief. And we can see a little illustration of that as he approached Jerusalem in Luke 13, 34, it's written, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. And we can almost hear the grief in Christ's voice. Ruth approached Boaz, acknowledging her low position as a servant and in need of protection. I think, well, from what it's written, I think Boaz was absolutely blown away by this. He makes that comment, he said, oh, you've treated me better than before. You haven't gone running after the younger fellow. So it indicates to me that Boaz might have been a little bit older. He recognised that Ruth was a woman of noble character. In fact, he goes on and says the whole village, of the whole town of Bethlehem knows that she's a woman of noble character. And he encouraged her by setting her fear. He said, don't be afraid. If you jump forward, forward, I think it's around about 42 times great-grandson said much the same thing. Don't be afraid. The whole point of what Boaz says is that he is quite prepared to do his part as a kinsman redeemer. If the one who is a nearer relation is unable to do so and he makes a vow to that effect. I can't help thinking that as we've looked through this story and seen the development in the relationships I can't help thinking that Boaz was praying like mad that this other fellow wasn't able to do the job. When Ruth did go home Boaz made sure she didn't go empty-handed but took six measures of barley with her. Now there's 
there's a whole lot of argument about what the measure of barley is, but the most reasonable to me seems that it was about a third of an ephah, which is what we were talking about the other week, which was around about 14 or 15 kilos. That's what she gleaned. Now, Boaz is obviously not going to short by giving her that amount or less, and so some commentators think it could have been around about 30 kilos, which is why Boaz had to put it on to her. Which th- it, when you see photos of some of the African women and the bundles of firewood and stuff they're carrying on their head and water pots, you're looking at 20, 25 th- litres of water. So 30 litres of grain or 30 kilos of grain doesn't really seem out of place. But anyway, I wonder how much sleep Naomi got that night. Probably not a lot. She was wondering, hope she was praying. She knew Boaz's character. She knew that he would not postpone things unnecessarily. And after Ruth recounts the events of that past night, Naomi gives some excellent advice that we would do well to listen to. Wait until you find out what happens. Now earlier I said that waiting impatiently is wrong, but here Naomi had followed the signposts, she'd done everything that she could possibly as a human, and she said, okay, it's in God's hands, now wait and see what happens. Now when we place things into God's hands and follow the signposts that he puts out and nothing happens, we can become impatient and cry, Lord, I want an answer yesterday. After all, you say in Isaiah that before I call you will answer. Is that misquoting scripture or what? But that's how we often think. I want an answer yesterday. We need to slow down, cast our burdens on him because he does indeed care for us. And in this life we have no idea of how often the Lord has intervened and rescued us or saved us from incidents by making us wait. Many years ago, we were returning back to Tarlee where we lived at the time after spending time up here at Wingham with Mum and Dad. And there used to be a caravan park at Perfleet. Uh, I think it was round about where the truck centre is or somewhere along that area. A caravan park and I pulled over because we were interested in looking at one and I found it was shut. I was a bit annoyed. A sales yard, a caravan sales yard. But that one minute that we had to wait prevented us from being involved in an accident about a kilometre down the road. As we drove down the road, we could see cars still pulling over and people getting out. That wait, that one minute wait, which I was annoyed at, probably saved our lives. Now Naomi said that Boaz was one of the kinsmen redeemers and she did not know whether he would be able to fulfil that role or whether it would be this other kinsman of whose character and reputation we know absolutely nothing. There was nothing they could do but wait. And you're going to have to wait till next week to find out what happens. 
The psalmist, who was legally Naomi's great-grandson, wrote in Psalm 138, The Lord will fulfil his purpose for me. So don't be anxious for anything. So the, what can we get out of this? When we're seeking the Lord's purpose for our life, and sometimes it's not clear, it's not clear, don't just sit back and expect things to happen. Use the initiative and the brains that God's given you and follow the signposts that he puts out. And sometimes he has to illuminate them quite brightly. And then when you've done all that, sit and wait. Not impatiently, but in the certainty that God is in control of everything. He's in control of the timing. Remember what I said last week, that Christ came at the right time. He's neither too late nor too early. And the third one is a question. Have you taken refuge under the wings of the Almighty God? It's not too, too, too late. It's not too late to turn from the mistakes of the past and return to the people of God and ask him to take you under his wing so that you take refuge under the wings of the Almighty God.